0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the Urban Kingdom Podcast. Today's guest is Manny Mercado. We talk about a number of interesting things. We talk about finances, we hear his life story, and then we talk about some do's and don'ts for ministry and so much more. You can tune into that, but first I want to talk about the Urban Educators Collective. This past summer, a number of urban administrators from different schools got together and decided to meet and discuss what it could mean if we would actually collectively work together. And so now what you're seeing is a powerhouse of ministries that are all working together for the purpose of the kingdom. We throw several events a year, um, and I can go on and on about what we do, but what you should know is that this podcast is brought to you by the Urban Educators Collective. So every episode you see from this point on is provided to you by the Urban Educators Collective. If you want to find out more about us, go to uecollective.org, and you can see what we're up to. Thank you for watching, and I can't wait for you to see the episode. Okay, Manny, thanks for coming on the episode today. We appreciate you coming. Um, I'm going to quickly introduce the audience to you, and then we will um, go from there. And hopefully I gave you a good intro. I gave it to you ahead of time, but uh, my intros <laughs> are uh, lackluster, to say the least. Emmanuel, otherwise known as Manny Mercado, is a father and youth pastor residing in Reading, Pennsylvania. He's a financial counselor, real estate investor, and owner of Kingdom Foundations Realty. Manny attended and graduated from Fairview Christian School, which, by the way, as one of the schools in our urban, in the Urban Educators Collective, um, which we'll talk about more later, and has since started a family, poured into his local community, and is a youth pastor at Shiloh Mennonite Church. Manny and I have worked together for several years on the Urban Youth Workers Retreat Board, which you'll also hear more about later in this episode. Once again, Manny, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it.
1: Hey, it's good to be here. Appreciate you opening your doors mm-hmm. uh, so that mm-hmm. I could be here today. And yeah, I'm excited to share. So thank you for having me over. Um, yeah, you gave me the opportunity to come here and be a voice. And God has been so good. So I am excited to be here.
0: Good. One thing you said is that to to give a voice. I really appreciate that because we almost named this pl- this podcast the Urban Platform Podcast, um, but the initials don't don't sound very good. So we went with um, UKP instead. Um, but our goal is to platform people and their stories. Um, You know, first, and then their ideas, and then the struggles, and then all these things, and those things will come out today, but nothing's more powerful than a story, and so we're going to actually start with your story. Um, I have a few questions here to give you some reference into what I'm looking for, but I'm going to let you go, and then I might jump in here and there to ask you questions or add a story here and there, Um, but we'll go as long as you want here with the story portion. Um, I asked Manny to share his life story. I heard this story probably about um, let's say two or three years ago, maybe four, um, you shared your story at Urban Youth Workers Retreat. Um, and I was really, really connecting with it because, you know, I came up in a similar way into churches and kids clubs and, um, meeting with families that invested in me and had good relationships with, and so I'm interested to see what parallels there'll be. Um, a couple questions that I had that to guide, maybe the conversation, um, one, I want to highlight the city of Reading. You're always teasing me about York being a rundown, crime ridden city. Um, I disagree. I think Reading is way worse. I interned in Reading for six weeks when I was in college. Um, you can hardly drive down the street because the streets are so narrow when one car can fit, which is dumb because there are two ways. But anyway, um, we're going to speak positively of Reading today for the only time ever. Um, I want you to describe the city of Reading, growing up in it, um, your family and ethnic culture. Um, any stories from that? And then going further from that, um, talking about Anabaptism, you know, when did you meet Anabaptist? What were your first impressions? Um, what are your impressions today? Um, who made significant impacts on your life um, and how? Um, and yeah, this one and so forth. And um, I'll give it over to you.
1: Yeah, sure thing. <clears throat> so to begin with, um, I was born in PR, Puerto Rico. Uh, mm-hmm. Para toda mi gente de Puerto Rico, vamos para adelante. sí. Yeah, si. my man Keisha. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, Buenos dias. Buenos dias, my man. So, yeah, I came to, to Reading when I was seven, and the nature of it was that we came to Reading for that American dream of just making it. You know, I grew up in a, uh, a family where my dad drank, and he was very abusive verbally, very abusive physically, and yeah, it was a danger to us, and so It was one of the reasons why we came over here. Um, But ironically enough, my dad then followed my mom because, you know, it was one of those relationships where it was on and off. And, yeah, it was just really annoying for us growing up. But anyways, that's what brought us to Reading and came to Reading when I was seven. And I'm 33 now, so it's been a hot minute since I've been in Reading. And growing up, I remember uh, coming and going to school and not knowing English. Mm-hmm. And trying to communicate something without knowing the language was just hard. Wow. And so I just remember trying to communicate this idea and just showing things here and there. And it was, yeah, it was very difficult, but um, this was what we felt was best for our family. And so, yeah, growing up in the city of Reading, one of the things that I remember was, um, you know, just having a lot of friends around. Mm-hmm. Um, my homies I was calling my homies and we did a lot of we did a lot of bike riding and we would get to, into a lot of trouble obviously um, but this was the guys that I connected with everybody has a sense of belonging hmm. and that was my sense of belonging and the city itself growing up I didn't really have a lot of ties with knowing what's going on but right off the get go I, I can remember uh, many stories that uh, would would appoint to Reading not being a safe city, and um, you know, growing up, we didn't really think about that a whole lot. But um, thinking about our culture in an early age, you know, between the ages of ten and fourteen, we did get into a lot of trouble. We did get into fights. I remember one time there was a uh, there was a fight that. Uh, my friend got into, it, and then we all kind of got into a fight, and then, you know, then like additional people came out of nowhere, and so everybody booked it. We're all running, and then we went to my friend's house, and my one friend got happened to have a new bike, and so mm-hmm. the bike was sitting out front. We're all chilling out there like we're hard, mm-hmm. and then this minivan pulls up with this other gang or these other people that that we got into a fight with, and the guys came out and right, right away we all just stood shut because we saw this guy was had a had a gun sticking right from his from mm-hmm. inside uh pocket like that and we're all kind of like nobody's talking now yeah and so he's like hey who 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 owns this bike and then we're all like nobody said anything right
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then he picked up this bike took it right off like a 150 dollar bike you know for a 12 year old that's a lot of money mm-hmm. and so uh you know that that was one of many instances where we got into trouble um but yeah, growing up, um, kind of came from that that upbringings where we just did uh, a lot of things that we that we shouldn't have, didn't have the right influence. A lot of it stems back to a fatherless home, okay. uh, which is a, a very common issue in a lot of urban settings. Uh, and yeah, Reading is one of those that uh, you really see the effects of that. The Reading school district is a one of the worst school districts in PA. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like you were saying, and knocking on writing, but yeah, the reality is that there is a lot of brokenness there. But when I was about eleven years old, I was hanging out at my friend's house. Uh, so remember Eduardo, and we we're just chilling there, and somebody knocks at the door. So my friend goes, he, he comes back to me, he's like, "Hey man, do you want to go to church?" I was like, "Huh." All right, that was out of the blue, man. We're just here hanging out. We're mm-hmm. playing, we're playing PlayStation, and you know this. And so, um, I was like, um, yeah, I guess you know he was going, and I don't know if there was any other friends that that I remember going, but I knew he was gonna be there. So there's gonna be somebody that I at least knew. He said it was fun, which is kind of a lie in the beginning, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you know. But the the very popular thing, a, a good hook, is that snack. Yeah. Can't go wrong Mm -hmm. with that snack. When they tell you there's food at the end, you know, it sweetens the deal up. So I was like, all right, let's go. And so I would have got invited to Shallow Mennonite Church, which is the current church that that I'm a pastor at now. But I just remember going there and it was the first time I saw pilgrims.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or
1: what I thought was pilgrims, right? Went there and saw uh, these people that are very different from what I was accustomed to. And my only accustomization to church would have been the Catholic church. Okay. So in PR, you know, we would have grown up going to church on Sunday, but that was about it. I uh, know. As very popularly known, there's not a relationship there. Mm-hmm. You know, with that Catholic, you know, traditional things that are being done, but your life, does not change during the week mm-hmm. and so that was my my thought of church it was something that you did to pay
0: respects but that's about it so you believed and you believed that God existed but the concept of a relationship with God or a, d- a full-blown devotion for your whole life was a foreign idea you didn't really think about it that way
1: yeah yep mm-hmm. that's exactly right it was this whole idea of yeah I think there's a God out there somewhere but he's not a personal God yeah. Something that I could be connected with. Hmm. And so, so, yeah, thinking about that, that was my connection to um, the Mennonite group. And one of the things that really stuck out to me was that there was a genuine care and a love for me. Hmm. You know, sometimes you look at a group and the group can seem like people are numbers. Yeah. You know, people are just, you're just this person, like... So that extra attention that was given was something that really stuck out to me, more so attention from an an older male figure, Hmm. because I didn't really have that in my life. And so I was really blessed to have a group of guys, not just one person, but a group of guys really dedicate their lives to getting to know me, getting to know my interests. Right? My personality,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um, the things that I enjoy, and building on that. I remember I I used to skateboard. Okay? Mm -hmm. I did a ton of stuff, but skateboarding was one of them. And uh, a good friend of mine, Arlen, I remember that, you know, in order for him to connect with me, he knew one of the things that we were into was skateboarding. And so one time he invited me and my one friend uh, to go to a skate park. And just go out there and chill. Mm-hmm. And you know, I remember Arlen trying to skateboard and he was trash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's still trash. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I love Arlen. He's one of he's one of my my main guys and I was, I, I should just talking to him on the way here. But that was one of many examples of somebody showing interest to me. Mm-hmm. You see, if we want to change lives, it begins with a relationship. Right. I often think of, you know, we see a lot of street preachers on the corner and they're preaching the gospel. It's all truth. But to me, I see too many people that they just walk by and they're hearing truth. You know, there there is power to that. But I always think, like, would a person be having uh, a more receiving heart when they hear, you know, something being preached and they don't know? they are, are they even normal or are they crazy versus somebody who has equitable interest in your in your life, hmm. you know, they have a relationship established and you know them well enough to say, you know what, this guy's really not that crazy. Right. And so whatever he has to say, there is meaning to it. There's there mm-hmm. It has substance to it. And so, you know, that was one of the things that I noticed in my life that the guys that I look up to are guys that invested into me, and so I think that's really pow. That was a, a powerful testimony for me, and I would say I can easily think of six guys that really poured into my life, and I'm gonna give them a shout out. Arlen, I just mentioned him. Uh, we have Lance. I got Dave. Got Wendell. Um, I have Steve. You know, even Dale. I don't know if they're gonna be listening to these podcasts, but it's a shout out <laughs> to these guys. Um, A group of guys that came together and you know we might get into this a little later i don't don't know how this is going to go out but the reality is that kids club isn't going to cut it
0: today's episode is sponsored by urban workers retreat urban workers retreat formerly known as urban youth workers retreat is a weekend designed to encourage awaken and equip all those who attend or tune in Held in mid-April, we assemble a network of hundreds of both experienced, new, and interested missionaries to brainstorm, reflect, and build with one another. UWR is a proud sponsor of the Urban Kingdom Podcast, and it's happening this year, April 14th to 16th at Roxbury Holiness Camp, Norristown, PA. Our keynotes are Daniel and June Pollard, who will be sharing stories and insights from their decades of experience, discipling others both internationally and stateside. Hear also from five experienced workshop speakers and 10 additional missionaries share about their unique and out-of-the-box thinking methods to reach their communities. Register today at UrbanWorkersRetreat.com UrbanWorkersRetreat.com
1: My upbringings, there was definitely some things that I was dealing with. was some trauma because of the absence of my dad. My mom had to pick up the slack and just do a whole lot. A lot of stress created in our family, uh, we're in desperate need of God. And the Lord is so good. Mm-hmm. And he Amen. works
0: things out. So in in what ways would you say people invested in you when you were younger? Like you mentioned a number of names. Do you have any stories or examples in ways that you were invested in?
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: So Lance
1: would have been another really close friend of mine. And what's what's really interesting is like, Lance and I, we're like polar opposites, just like some of these other guys. Like, I was cute. I'm still cute. He isn't cute. He's never been cute. Hmm. <laughs> I hope he's not listening. Um, but no, Lance was, uh, he was that guy that was uh, really into sports, which was great. I love I sports. But uh, one of the things that they, they really did as a family was play board games. Hmm. When I say play board games... This is like taking board a regular board game and putting it on steroids, and you know this is like a, a minimum of a three hour board game that you were you were committing to playing.
0: So one of those families, huh?
1: One of those families, <laughs> and so that's not me at all. I'm like, let's go out there, let's let's take these guys' car and whip them around. I was 14, so we weren't supposed to be driving, but. You know when you live when these people live in the country they leave their keys inside their cars that's a plus for us people from the city. Yeah.
0: So it's a little hack there. My mom just got her car stolen. Um, my adoptive mom just got her car stolen the other day. So and she did it by leaving a spare a set of spare keys in the car. But growing up the Shank family they didn't actually take their keys out of the car. So for the first 10, 15, maybe even 20 years if their family existing in York the keys were always in the car and often in a way that you could see it or find it very easily. If you went in and they had their cars stolen a number of different times. And the police, I don't know if the police take, take it seriously when a night calls them and tells them their car got stolen or not, but they have a <laughs> reputation for sure. That's so, anyway. so
1: funny. So, yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And so we'll, we'll be like, yeah, yeah, you guys go play your board games. And then me and, and uh, my other friend go out and do stuff like that. And, Anyways, so what what I want to highlight from that relationship was not the fact that I went to the house and I didn't necessarily want to play their three-hour board game, but I got to come to a place where the doors were open and where family was exposed. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying they had the best family, right? I'm not saying they had the best image of a great working family, great children, and great parent situation, but... Just the, just the fact of seeing a family unit being together, mm. um, welcoming others. I, th- I think one of, the, one of the things that a lot of people need around us is community mm. and that family. And there's a need for that. And just the whole thought of just a family coming together to eat supper at the table mm-hmm. as a family mm-hmm. was weird to me. Like I never experienced that. We always ate. Whenever we felt like it, um, it wasn't on a schedule or anything like that. Um, And so just seeing some of the the family aspects, just having a safe place to go was huge, right? But then again, we got into some great conversations. Like, you know, Lance and I and his brothers, like, we would just talk about life. How Mm -hmm. often does somebody talk to you about life? Hey, how are you doing? Like, yeah, th- this is hard. And somebody it's, that you can trust. It's
0: true. Most of our conversations on life are very shallow and surface level. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so we had a lot of great conversations, um, great conversations after Bible study on Thursdays that we would stay there easily an hour afterwards. I remember those mm-hmm. times. We did that very frequently. Bible study's over, but that's really when the relationships really began. Yeah. That's really where the magic Mm. happened. And just looking back, man, I remember we always had a time of prayer, and then there was like four or five of us that would be there, and we just talked. And, yeah, those were foundational pieces to where I'm at. Mm
0: -hmm. So, Manny, one of the things that you said that um, I really, really liked, and let's just go into the Kids Club discussion now. Um, We may even attack that in different ways later. Not, and I say attack we are going to sound like we're attacking it because we both have strong opinions about this, um, but I also think that we're both qualified to speak um, boldly about this because we've been involved in both on both ends of, this, of the situation. We've been involved in helping in them, and we've both been a kid in a kid's club. Um, and so one of the things that um, I have often spoken about, written about, or whatever, is hard ministry versus easy ministry. Um, Hard ministry are things like um, discipleship groups, um, one-on-one mentoring, group mentoring, um, bringing people into your homes for meals on a consistent basis, letting them be around your children, finding a family that has children and having their children hang out with your children so that your children aren't growing up in some kind of echo chamber or whatever, Mm -hmm. while also allowing um, mutually beneficial relationships to happen, so on and so forth. Easy ministry are things like kids' clubs. Um, and one of the things that, especially about kids' clubs that I've struggled with to endorse or support is the idea that um, at the very basis of these programs, the idea is we're going to get whoever we can find from our churches, my churches, wherever, and give them a program or system to, in a more easily and efficient way, do some kind of ministry. Mm. And in my experience, whenever a organization, a church, or anyone creates easy ministry for somebody, good ministry is not happening. And I'm not equipped to define what good ministry is here today, but I think I know from experience and from going around and speaking and sharing different places when it's not good ministry. um, What are some of the things about kids clubs that you think make it inadequate to be or not inadequate, because I think there can be value in them. Mm -hmm. But why is it not that next level? Why is it not producing um, very many, if at all, um, committed Christians that can then continue to invest in other people in their neighborhoods? And um, why are we not seeing that?
1: Mm -hmm. That's a great question. And I continue to grow in my understanding of it, right, as time has gone on. And like you're saying, being a product of the program. And what I want to say is that I believe that the idea of the program of Kids Clubs, or I'd love to hope, right, is that it started with a, with a good intention of, hmm. we want to share the gospel. We want uh, these kids to know Christ. We want them to know the stories. We want them to get familiarized with it. And I want to hope that, right? But the reality is that when you have a program, which is what it is, a program is something that uh, this, I don't know how to explain it without saying program, right? A program is a meeting or an event on a specific time, um, you know, on a weekly basis, and a yearly basis, whatever, however you want to do that. But the thing about a program is that then you have to get volunteers Mm. to to join this program. And so the whole idea of, or desire to want children to, to see Christ. It's a great idea. Mm -hmm. What, what, where I think the, the, what makes, what makes this interesting is that when you have a program, you need volunteers. When you have volunteers, you don't necessarily have people that are passionate about the, or qualified. Yeah. Or qualified. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. And, yeah, qualification is a big one. Uh, sometimes we assume that everybody could teach mm. or, you know, that could communicate well. Uh, but that's another subject. But um, again, the, the thing with um, the that whole program mindset is that sometimes there's high turnover – right mm-hmm. there's people that feel like oh you know this sounds like a cool thing i'm going to go do this for a year or two and then they feel good about themselves which is okay it's not it's not a bad thing you know you're going and you're teaching bible stories but i think sometimes we we kind of forget what we're supposed to be doing
0: hmm.
1: right like god when he left he went up to heaven and he ascended he gave us what well, he gave us the mission and he said to to make disciples of all the nations, mm-hmm. baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And so, sometimes we lose focus of that. So, in what we're doing, are we doing that? And one of the one of the reasons that I believe that that kids clubs is how, how should I say this? Kids club is a great starting point. Let's put it that mm-hmm. way. It's a great way to uh, to meet other children that do not believe what you believe, and and to build those relationships from that. I believe that it's a starting point. It's almost like a you know like a step one of five, and it, I think it's a good springboard to building relationship. Yeah. But it's not it's not the end result. Hmm. Okay. So a, a lot of times through our kids club at our church, that's how I met. A lot of these great mentors in my life. It started. Mm-hmm. It, it started from there, but it didn't end there. And so that created a, a space for relationships to be built. But they had to initiate that. They had to make it happen. Yeah. And like you're saying, that's when it starts going to a um, what were the two words you called it? You say easy ministry or hard ministry. Hard ministry. Yeah. Then it becomes hard because, like you're saying. To invite someone to your house, who might be a little crazy, who might steal from you, right? Like like Manny? Yeah. Yeah. Well, ex Manny. Uh, Yeah, sure. (laughs) Sure, younger Manny. Yeah, Um, like that takes something, or to give up your time. Mm Hmm. This it's a sacrifice. Yeah. Who's willing to do that? Yeah. But you know, those are the times that meant most for me. Mm -hmm. When I saw that. I remember um, my one of the guys that I mentioned, Dave. Okay, and Dave, there was this one um, Christmas time where I forget what the scenario was. I wasn't having Christmas at my house. I felt kind of lonely. I somehow hooked up with Dave, and Dave said, "Hey, we're having we're having our, our family Christmas, and you can come over." And so, you know, he invited me over, and. This is a family Christmas, you know. Would have invited me to his house for Christmas, and at Christmas, I didn't have anything to do. I felt kind of lonely, and he opened his opened his doors to his house, and the family welcomed me just like any other other children. Hmm. And and then you know how they do, you know, you hand out gifts and all that. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm thinking like I don't, I don't, I shouldn't be getting a gift. Like I didn't even know I was coming till today, mm-hmm. but here. I think they just got somebody else's gift, and they gave it to me, hmm. uh, which is kind of neat. And I opened it, and it was like an extra, extra large shirt, but it was the thought that count. Yeah. And I remember that, that shirt was funny, or not funny. It was kind of cool because it was like a waterproof shirt. Hmm. You know, you can spill a drink on it, and you're good to go, which um, I will always spill a lot of stuff on me. But anyways, I still remember that Dave opened his, his, uh, his doors to a time of family, to a time of, of building on that and that is something that I still think about and, and I want to do the same
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so the whole thing with, with Kids Club like I said is it's a great springboard to the Great Commission and it's not the end to the mission call if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does. So it's interesting, you said that it's a great starting point, a great springboard. I think it's both a springboard for the um, students or whatever you want to call them that are in the program and the, whatever you call them, missionaries that are that are in it as well. Um, because mm. it was both a springboard for both you and I, but it was also a, is often a springboard. When I, when I think of the most respected Missionaries that I know are mission-minded people um, in my life that, that are either overseas or doing great work in cities, whatever, some of those people will be hosting the podcast in the future. Almost all of them started with a kids' club, mm-hmm. right? Interestingly enough, they almost all have the same perspective on kids' clubs, and they share what we share, right? Because they've heard from people, they've seen, they've observed. This is really not cutting it. And when we say not cutting it, we're specifically talking about um, we don't want people to be obsessed with results because that's actually what creates the problem is the idea that we can create a system or program that disciples people for us right that gets mm-hmm. that creates this easy work no matter what no matter how you do it no matter where you go ministry will always be taxing it will always take a lot from you it will always be sacrificial and it will be it'll be very thankless often um, but it's it, one of the things I wanted to pull out is that it's almost always better when it is done in collaboration with the community around you. Um, And so I'm doing a whole episode on kids' clubs um, Mm -hmm. where I'm sharing independently, um, and um, we'll unpack that more at that point. But I really appreciate you bringing out that aspect. I think it's really good.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I'm thinking with with the whole the whole idea of, of kids club is um, and and I think a big part of it is like we we're talking about getting the right pieces for it. Mm-hmm. Like one of the one of the things that I think about with the whole mentality, I believe that whoever came up with the idea of kids club, you know, obviously there's people in different places that come up. Those are the people that usually have a passion for it. Mm-hmm. there's a passion in the heart to reach you know what i'm saying and and i think that like you're saying here it's easier to put a program in place that you can you know just do this thing and it's gonna create the results but the reality is that um you know it we want to find those people that are passionate about it and this is where where I was saying we have to be careful that when we create programs, you know, we always create this program to, and, and we have the, this uh, systematic program that we, do, 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 we only do 10 programs this year. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. there's a beauty in going into the culture and, and identifying what the needs are before you're coming with mm-hmm. this specific program. Right. And so I just think that you know, so, so many times we go into a place thinking we, we're we're going to implement this, we're going to do, do all this stuff, but yet they're never heard, right. and we're not really speaking their language. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's powerful that you know th- these people that are mission minded, which I believe everybody should be mission minded, right? Uh, but if you're called to a certain you know town or city, there is a value in going in there and. Listening to people. What actually speaks to you? Yeah. And how can we tie that? How can we do something that speaks to you and then bring Christ into it? Because Christ is is, ties in with everything in life. Mm -hmm. And so I just think that that would would be something that would be powerful if we want to reach the kids, the community, the parents. And and it should be a part of everything that mission should be a part of our everyday living.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and when when kids know that you drive forty five minutes once a week to minister to them you know from seven to eight thirty and then they say deuces yeah you know that that speaks differently than somebody um you know being locally available and investing where where they're saying uh you know this area needs Christ. Mm-hmm. And so I, I there's just uh, people can tell. For sure. And that's one of the things that I've been learning a lot this year is that, you know, we have this mentality that I'm going to go out here, I'm going to go out there because I'm doing my outreach. Or, you know, many times you might hear of people, once they graduate, they'll go and do uh, missions for two years, then come back, mm-hmm. and then get married, then have 12 kids, and then I don't know what's after that. We're at the kid stage.
0: Yeah, become a pastor or lead a youth group or do this. It's not... You can tell a lot when someone's life is guided by a mission mindset. Their entire life, their entire being, they're they're motivated by Christ. Um, And when somebody is treating it like a... Almost like a... um, like it's like in um, what is it in Korea or other countries they require you do military service like four Mm -hmm. years maybe it's only two years it's almost like that where families are raising children that you know they admire these families because they're mission minded families but is it actually motivated by love by obedience to Christ or is it a concept that we just do because it's what we're supposed to do um, are we motivated to do it because it's what the thing to do is? Um, I'm not at all saying that somebody who comes home and, and raises a family um, in their church and doesn't stay in a city is shallow. That's not what I'm saying. And I'm mm-hmm. not, that's everybody. I mean, I tell people often, um, you know, you can live where you want to live. That's not the problem. Um, what does I think matter? And this is true for from scripture or from the character of Christ, or even just people who have been able to effectively reach and help and love people. Um, it is so true that we need to make sure that we are living, like you said, a, a mission-minded life. Our entire mm-hmm. life is consumed by this. One of the people that I think I observed this in the most um, was Clayton Shank. He was a father figure in my life, passed away a few years ago on Christmas day. Um, and, I would watch him no matter what environment he was in, he was teaching the same way, right? Mm-hmm. Clayton didn't um, adjust or change very much at all what he had to say based on where he didn't coach switch very much. Now he code switch sometimes, but I walked around. I mean, I went everywhere with this guy, right? I mean, he, he was a father figure for me. I, I moved in with him when I was 16, lived there um, for, I think it was six years. Um, and he sort of adopted me into his family. Um, and, he he would go preach at a um you know a near eastern church which if you know anything about anabaptists i mean that's it was just about that to that degree and he would speak um with as much passion and as much um he had the mindset that if you don't like what i'm saying you'll hit me out um mm. and he had moments where that almost happened you know a few times you know um and then i'd see him in the city and i did not see a an uptick in demeaning posture demeaning um, words, not intentionally anyway. He had moments where he had to repent or change or adjust, but if you're doing ministry for as many decades as he did it, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to come across the wrong way. Right. I think it's so telling. And the thing is, I can tell at 25, but so can a nine-year-old when you're demeaning them by the way you're talking to them. right? And mm-hmm. so when I see people get into their mission voice or their teacher voice or whatever at a kids' club, and I'm observing, which I've done quite a bit, i um, People stop asking me to do it once they realized I was coming in to tell them that they need to stop doing what they're yeah. doing. And, um, you know, there are solutions. If you're listening at home, there are solutions that go deeper. Um, I will unpack that in another episode, of course. But mm-hmm. this is not to say that kids clubs shouldn't happen. It's just to say that we need to temper our expectations um, and, and not teach that it's a, you know, by how often it happens and by how prevalent it is, you'd think it was the ultimate way of ministry but the fact of the matter is it's not it right. just simply isn't every episode we will highlight in urban school in our collective today's episode highlights arrows christian academy in Reading. they're hoping to open up next year and you can see more about them at arrows christian org. manny and i's discussion will continue in future weeks we talk about finances we continue our discussion on ministry and there are many other interesting things that we cover still to come. Thanks for tuning in and see you in a couple weeks.